From Utah Public Radio, this is Undisciplined. I'm Matthew LaPlante. When an Austrian bug collector discovered a new species of beetle in the 1930s, he bestowed upon it the name of a person he claimed to have greatly admired. He called it Onophthalmus Hitleri, and he sent Adolf Hitler a note announcing the onomastic tribute. That was nearly 90 years ago, and for most of that time, biologists who know about this beetle have sort of treated its name with a shrug. But some scientists are growing increasingly uncomfortable with the number of species that are named for really horrible people. And they're wondering why anything that isn't human should be named in this way to begin with. Others reckon that what is done is done, and the International Commission on Zoological Nomenclature recently felt compelled to officially reject a movement to change the scientific names of animals that have culturally offensive and racist names or that honor some of history's worst human beings. The commission's official position is that such changes would threaten nomenclatural stability and scientific communication. But Christopher Bay thinks that's an irresponsible approach. And he and others say it really doesn't have to be that hard. We can change animal names. We've done it many times before. Bay is an anthropologist at the University of Hawaii at Manoa and one of six authors of two recent papers in the Zoological Journal of the Linnaean Society that seek to set a path to renaming animals like the beetle that is named for Adolf Hitler. Christopher Bay, welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on, on your show, Matthew. Christopher, there is a beetle named after Hitler. That's not the only animal out there with a problematic name, but it's a pretty big one. But what are, what are some other examples? Some other good examples, and, and actually how we as anthropologists got involved with this, is uh, a hominid fossil named after Cecil Rhodes called Homo rhodesiensis. Uh, Cecil Rhodes uh, was a colonialist working in the late 1800s, early 1900s in southern Africa. Uh, and he's known for mining activities and causing a lot of health issues and problems for the indigenous populations uh, in, in that region. And when they uh, found a, a hominid fossil in the early 1920s, they decided to, to name it after the territory named Rhodesia, which was already named after Cecil Rhodes himself. But Cecil Rhodes uh, was a very well-known colonialist, very well-known racist, where he thought that if you were not a white male, and in particular, actually, if you were not a white male from England, uh, you, you were a second-class uh, citizen. And so there's been a movement starting starting in the, in the 20-teens in Southern Africa where the movement's called um, Roads Must Fall. They, uh, you know, a lot of African uh, students have, have risen up and said that, you know, we need to start changing, removing statues of Cecil Rhodes and even trying to remove uh, names of buildings. And, you know, there's a Rhodes University uh, in the region. So they, they've been trying to, um, you know, push for that, that type of movement as well. But we got involved with this because of uh, a name that, you know, we were, we were going to name a new, uh, new hominid fossil. And one of the options that was out there is uh, based on the rules of priority uh, would be Homo rhodesiensis. But then when we thought about it, naming a possible direct ancestor of us, Homo, Homo sapiens, after somebody who's a known uh, colonialist and, uh, and racist, I think would be uh, would be really uh, unfortunate uh, situation, and so 
we started to become involved with this, um, you know, this this big debate that um, various other uh, parties have also been involved with it as well. But that's really how we got involved with, with, with this. And we, we've been trying to argue that um, we cannot name one of our earliest ancestors after somebody that's a, a known colonialist and, uh, and racist. And the name that you've proposed instead is Homo Bodo, Bodoensis, correct? Bodoensis, because we, we did further research on this. And so what we decided is that since we can't really, you know, it's really unjustified, and it's really unfair, especially to the people that were impacted directly uh, in Southern Africa, to name an early ancestor after the roads. Uh, and so we looked at uh, the other possible names, and we lo- we actually liked a fossil, uh, you know, that's called Bodo from East Africa. And this fossil is a really nice fossil. And we looked at the name, uh, and we could not come up with any um, potential problems that that, that could arise uh, based on uh, you know anything really. So we came up with the uh, the new name Homo Bodoensis. That's now uh, it's out there and it's being debated. And this is just Bodo, which is the site of. Uh, paleoanthropological excavation in the Awash River Valley of Ethiopia, correct? Exactly. You know, so it was discovered and uh, in the 1970s and was published initially. Um, at the time, what they did is they called it Archaic Homo sapiens. And then later it, it was grouped into um, Homo heidelbergensis and possibly Homo rhodesiensis. Now, did you just say Homo heidelbergensis, like named for Heidelberg? Yes. So the, another indication of perhaps some, you know, considerations of names that might be problematic. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We all, we also had problems, uh, issues with the name Homo heidelbergensis because heidelbergensis, uh, the fossil name itself, became more of a uh, uh, what we call a garbage can taxon, uh, where anything that could not fit into uh, Homo erectus or Homo neanderthalensis or Homo sapiens was immediately being assigned to uh, Homo heidelbergensis. But what happened uh, as a result of that is that Homo heidelbergensis really became this really huge amount of variation that really included several different you know species of, of, of Homo probably. And so uh, we decided to, to make the argument that we should probably probably stop using the name Homo heidelbergensis to represent all uh, non-Homo erectus, non-Neanderthals, and non-humans as a result. And this is just like this really German name that we're ascribing to fossils from a very different part of the world. Yes. You know, there, there, there was a push starting in the 1980s by some paleoanthropologists that we should start to use the name uh, Homo heidelbergensis much more widely. And so they started to argue that we should assign uh, fossils from Africa and even from Asia, you know, into this Homo heidelbergensis species. Now, most species have at least two different names. There are the common names and the scientific names. The latter are these quasi-Latin-sounding ones, Homo Heidelberg insis, for instance, that are often attributed to the binomial naming system that was at least formally introduced, as many people know, by Carlos Linnaeus. Although, a little bit of history here, it actually goes back more than 100 years before Linnaeus uh, as a less widely adopted practice. There's been some successful efforts, quite a few successful efforts, to change common names, especially ones that are very clearly racist. Am I correct about that? 
Yeah, it, it's yes, definitely. It's actually been in the news uh, over the past couple of years. You know, ornithology, the American the American Ornithological Association made a major decision recently to remove, you know, common names of, you know, of birds that were named after people. They said that, you know, they, they said that they were going to go in and remove all of the names uh, indiscriminately and then go back and then come up with new names uh, that more reflect, you know, either the, the morphology of the bird or, you know, the phenotypic traits of the uh, of these birds. But there, there's been a, a lot of known problems in, in ornithology as a result of all of these um, these birds being named after people that have um, some major, major ethical issues uh, surrounding them. Yeah, because we like to think of birders as like that, you know, sweet little old grandmother with the binoculars hanging around her neck who, you know, wouldn't harm a fly. <laughs> but that's, that's not always the case. Yes, it's not always the case. <laughs> so, and this is uh, part and parcel to a movement called Bird Names for Birds. There's been other movements in the insect community. But these binomial scientific names, as opposed to the common names, They've proven to be a little bit stickier. And the International Commission on Zoological Nomenclature has really scoffed at the idea of changing those names. Now, I know you've got a lot to say about this, but before we get into why you think the commission is wrong on this point, I wanted to see if we could identify like their best possible argument. As, as you were crafting these papers with your group, what is the position that the commission took that is their best possible point for why this would be a challenge to do if we were to change scientific nomenclature? Well, the, their their general argument is that if we started to change uh, names based on uh, societal norms today, and a perfect example is the current president of the ICZN is actually was quoted in the Economist uh, soon after our papers came out. You know, saying that in the 1930s when the beetle was named after Hitler, it was considered to be prestigious. You know, nobody nobody questioned it. It wasn't a, wasn't a major issue. Now people are, are, are questioning it because of everything that you know, all of the atrocities that uh, Hitler uh, and his people were, were doing, right? And, and it's well known. But they, they actually said that maybe 100 years from now, you know, maybe the name Hitler is not going to be a bad thing, you know? And, and so, so I, I, when I read that, I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy, you know? You know I, but, but the argument is a slippery slope argument. It's, you know, if we, if we do this with Hitler, then are we going to do it with Washington? If we do it with Washington, are we going to do it with Barack Obama, who I believe has some animals named after him, right? Like, I mean, where did, I guess that's their argument is, is look, what's done is done. This could be a slippery slope toward having to change things consistently again and again over time. That is actually true. Um, that it could, you know, They did argue that. It, and I've talked with a lot of people who support the ICZN's uh, argument um, outside of, the, uh, outside of their, their commission. But it's interesting because they argue that, you know, once you start, where do you, where do you stop? And where do you draw the line where you say this person is egregious and needs needs to be changed or or that person doesn't? It, it's it's actually a good question because even we don't have a clear answer. You know what we proposed is that maybe we need to come up with a, a special committee to review these on a case by case basis, and then then decide whether how egregious are these accusations and whether we should uh, remove these names. But you know 
the ICZN argued that if society changes, you know, 50 years from now, they, these names could get changed back. You know, my, my thinking about this whole whole issue is that I can't see anybody investing basically their entire career or, you know, different people investing their entire careers in these different fields, specifically going out and investigating every single eponym and toponym that's out there. Because you're talking, literally, you're talking about th- thousands of names, right? Yeah, presumably we would challenge the ones, the system would challenge the ones that are the most problematic. Well, that, that's what we, we were saying. You know, we, we should actually look at ones like Hitler, like Cecil Rhodes. Uh, Hibbert, George Hibbert is also another big name. You know, so th- these are names of, of people that are, are pretty egregious. Where, where do you think the line would be drawn in that process? Like, so for instance, Heterospilus washingtoni is a parasitic wasp that lives primarily in Costa Rica, which is a country that George Washington never visited, despite having a wasp named for him there. Washington, as everyone should know, was a slave holder. Of course, his name remains on all sorts of things in our world, our nation's capital, one of its state. I mean, just what's your gut tell you? Like, is that beyond the line is it right on the line you know in this process you know it, it's it's come up in many conversations even amongst the authors about where we want to draw that where we would argue to draw the line and really i, I think if somebody uh if, if somebody ended up dying as a result of something that that person did then that's probably where you really not want to start the investigation and so you know something egregious like that you know obviously hitler was was in charge of the murder of more than 6 million jews you know and other minority groups right you know and i i've said this this hasn't really come up in you know with my colleagues in in east asia and so i i actually brought up the example of you know what if there was a a biological organism named after pol pot you know you know who's in charge of the killing fields in the 1970s right you know it, you're in china so it's not Maybe what Pol Pot doesn't really hit home, but what about the people in Cambodia? So it's uh, it's something that's uh, of major concern, should be of major concern if these uh, these people that you know have these organisms named after them. So maybe if we start with Hitler and Pol Pot and kind of move down from there, we can worry about the like devastating effects of the slippery slope once we actually get to the slippery slope. Pick off the low hanging and really awful fruit first. Yeah, and I think once you uh, once you get past that, you know, there there are calls. It's it's really in the gray, fuzzy area where you really need to have opinions from both sides really looking at it. You think about the example of Teddy Roosevelt. You know, he's you know obviously he's he's, he's very famous in America and internationally, and he did a lot of great things when he's president. You know, we we can thank our national parks for you know things that he put in place, right? But in front of the American uh, Museum of Natural History in New York, there there was a, a statue of Teddy Roosevelt, and you had a Native American kneeling on one side and then you had an African kneeling on the other side. And so people really started to take issue with that, you know. And so eventually there was a movement to uh, to remove the statue uh, from in front of uh, the American Museum of Natural History. So I, I, I think in, in these cases that you really need to have, you know, some kind of special committee or commission to, to do the investigation and see whether it really is over the top or not. And Roosevelt, by the way, has multiple animals named after him. There's a species of elk, a species of spider, you know, and then, of course, the teddy bear is named <laughs> after Theodore Roosevelt as well. Hey, let's let's jump into the argument that you and your collaborators have made in response to the commission statement, starting with this fact. 
the commission has talked about how difficult this would be, but there are already mechanisms to change the scientific names of species for other sorts of reasons, primarily when further investigation reveals that they weren't taxonomically correctly placed in the first place, or there is a better nomenclature for them that is more accurate. We already do this quite frequently, correct? Yes, we do. And, and it, it, the example of Hitler is actually interesting because um, according to the ICZN, no one has actually ever, ever formally petitioned the ICZN to remove the name Hitler. So I, I found that a little surprising. I haven't had a chance yet to do the investigation myself to do the research. But if that's true, then right now it's probably time to actually petition the ICZN to re formally remove the name. Because, you know, it's interesting because even the, the members of the ICZN uh, did not realize this, but the Beatles are actually a big, you know, they're, they're a collector's item, especially among neo-Nazis. Post these on eBay and they, you know, they sell for a couple thousand dollars each when you find them. And so the Beatles now, because they're, they have the name Hitler attached to them, is they're actually on the verge of extinction. So neo-Nazis are collecting these bugs. Uh, which is threatening this animal that presumably ha plays a role in the great web of life. It, it, exactly. So uh, it, it's it's pretty interesting that uh, now this this beetle who you know really didn't bother anybody, right? You know, um, you know, is now on the verge of extinction because of simply because of the name that's attached to uh, to them. The layers of irony that are dripping off of this story is incredible. Yeah, exactly. And so um, some members, even some members of the ICZN, they they are on record for saying, you know, if people want to make the argument based simply on uh, conservation. This beetle's on the verge of going extinct. Uh, we could probably uh, do something about it. So they could make the argument for conservation, but not for just the sheer fact that Hitler was a hu horrible human being. That's what they said. So, but I think it's 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 really time uh, right now for uh, you know the entomologists to get together and really formally petition. Whether it's based on uh, conservation efforts or it really is based on the ethics alone, the name really needs to be removed. Yeah, or all of the above. You, you've pointed out that the dismissiveness of the commission comes from an organization that isn't exactly representative of the diversity of the scientific community that it supposedly represents. Yeah, traditionally, the, uh, the ICZN, um, it was really unclear how it formed. And so I learned later on that traditionally what happened is that they would have a uh, like a workshop or a conference and then they would all go and meet and then they would vote on members of the ICZN and they'd all vote for themselves and, you know, behind the scenes in the in the back room. But it turned out that you had to afford to be able to attend the, the conference to begin with. Right. Which kind of, you know, if you're from a third world nation and you're doing this type of research, most people can't afford to attend these these international conferences. And, and so more often than not, uh, the vast majority of the members of the ICZN were from the global north. And so it became a real big issue uh, for people working in the global south who now have a growing voice. And it's a really important voice because it's important for them to be able to say that, hey, listen, 
you know, you're, you're coming to, to my country and you're, you're identifying new species, but you shouldn't be naming them after your, your former kings and queens. You know, we have indigenous names here that, that work uh, just as well, if not better, and they, they won't offend anybody. But getting back to the, uh, the composition of the ICZN, the last time that they had an election, which I think was in 2020 or t- maybe 2022, they tried to have a, a more open, you know, to be a more accessible uh, election. And so they actually ended up bringing in some people um, from the global south. Uh, not a high number, but, you know, we're hoping that uh, this type of uh, activity, you know, moving forward for the next set of elections uh, for the ICZN, that they'll, they'll definitely advertise it more and they'll be more open to having better representation across the board. For instance, they don't have anybody from, Af- from the African continent on the commission. Exactly, and I, I was just gonna—I was just gonna mention that—that that there's no representatives from Africa. You have people from the global north that work in Africa, but you have nobody from the from Africa itself. And it's interesting because after this came out, I, you know, I was talking to some uh, some people, and one of the the members of the ICZN said that they're more than happy to train people from the uh, the south, but they can't elect uh, these people from the global south, you know, to be on the ICZN if they're not qualified. But you know, if you're not, you know, if you're not providing the training, you know, for these people, how are they ever going to get qualified? That's the oldest argument in the book for keeping the the club really insular. Yeah, keep, exactly. And so I, you know, when I saw this, I was I was kind of laughing, you know, because I was like, you know, it's a good argument, very circular argument to keep your, you know, keep your composition of your committee the same, you know, from from decade to decade. But you've you've noted that there is this growing number of scientists, particularly those from the global south that have been traditionally underrepresented in these matters, who are beginning to speak out about these issues. And I sort of gather from this that you believe that a change will happen eventually and that what you see as common sense and common decency in this matter of scientific names will prevail. How how long do you think it'll take before we get to a reasonable solution here where you know people can challenge and the I and, and and the commission will take seriously the challenges to names that are offensive. You know, if you had asked me this question um say 2 or 3 years ago, I would say probably not in my in our lifetime. <laughs> but I I Things are changing so quickly, and especially with you know the the decision by the uh, the ornithology society that that was public. And so I I actually think within the next five to ten years you're going to see some major major changes, not only to um, the the composition itself of the ICZN, but also to some of their decision making about you know we we're gonna we can completely disregard any ethical issues and, and stuff and so you're gonna start to see some major major changes you know and a good example of this is our our major society is called the American Association of Biological Anthropologists and we actually have a uh, a conference our annual conference this year is going to be in March in Los Angeles and my colleagues and I what we did is we put together a proposal to have a roundtable discussion that's called uh, what's in a name? A lot, in fact, which is why anthropologists should care. 
And what we're talking about are the ethics around scientific naming and biological anthropology. And, come, and our goal here at this roundtable discussion in March is to come up with, you know, a ways, some recommendations for changes in future direction. You know, and so, you know, it impacts uh, biological anthropology broadly, but it doesn't only impact paleoanthropology, my field, uh, as well. And so what it is, is we actually started talking with primatologists. You know, so people working in, in, in the area of primatology, they have to deal with a lot more eponyms and toponyms than, than we do in paleoanthropology. And they, they started, they've been talking about it for the past several years as well, about, you know, it's time that we need to change. And so this roundtable discussion at the, uh, the Biological Anthropology uh, Conference in March will include paleoanthropologists and will also include uh, primatologists to be able to talk about these issues. And our goal is to come up with a, uh, a special committee that can do a further investigation. And then ultimately, what we're hoping for is to actually have a a list of recommendations for our society to be able to vote on uh, some of these recommended changes. And assuming that uh, the society votes for name changes to support that, what will happen is that our society then would submit a formal petition to change some, at least some of the names of, uh, of some of these uh, biological organisms uh, in primatology and in paleoanthropology. So we're hoping that that election, that vote would actually occur in 2025 in time for the 2025 you know, conference uh, that we'll have. Do you have a sense that animals and other species should have people's names on them? at all is would it be good for us to start moving away from that at least in terms of animals that we are newly species that we are newly naming yeah i uh, per, me personally i it the thought never even occurred to me to name something uh, after after a person so, so, so it was very interesting to see all of these eponyms and toponyms uh, out there. And you're, when, I, when I started to look at some of these names, I was like, wow, that's, that's very strange. All right. But you're, you're a paleoanthropologist. You're really into early hominids. Let's say for a second here, Christopher, that I'm your biggest fan in the world and I discover an early hominid and I name it Homo baensis. I, I, I would tell you that that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's Christopher Bay. He's an anthropologist at the University of Hawaii at Manoa and one of six authors of two recent papers in the Zoological Journal of the Linnaean Society that seek to set a path to changing the scientific names of animals that are increasingly recognized to be offensive. Christopher Bay, thank you. Thank you for, for having me on. This was the 250th episode of Undisciplined. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio. And if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us on UPR every Thursday morning at 1030. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcast. Our program is supported by a generous donation from the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University and from listeners like you. You can support our work at donate.nprstations.org UPR. Our producer is Reagan Edelman. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot. And I'm Matthew LaPlante. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.